Uh, well, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, it might seem a, a little bit different on a night like this to begin talking about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it, it seems in some ways in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, it, it's not that often that we speak about the Spirit, is it? But yet the Spirit is really the foundation of our Christian life. And I, I think maybe deep down inside, we, we all kind of know that, don't we? You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right, says the Scripture. How is it that, that any of us can have self-control? How is it that any of us can refrain from uh, sinning? It's only because of the presence of that same Holy Spirit. Now, for many fortunate people, you know, they, they, they came into the church as a result of their decision of their mom, their dad, their grandma, their, their grandpa, their aunt, their uncle, where they were baptized. And as the water is applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right, the, the gift of that Holy Spirit enters in uh, to that small child. And as that small child grows in years, perhaps mom and dad, grandma and grandpa insisted that they attend Sunday school or that the Holy Spirit was nourished within them. They came to uh, that very special day of confirmation where they stood before the congregation and they gave their vow uh, that I, I was able to just do it in Royalton once more last weekend. And, you know, it, it maybe seems uh, uh, odd uh, to some people, but actually within the vow is that statement that I would rather face death than to abandon this faith that has been passed down to me. Right, we, we take that very seriously. The young person standing there before the entire congregation, you know, makes that promise. They would rather face death. And then, you know, for people that continue to grow in years and, and you know, a, a lot of, you know, folks, a lot of you folks, you stayed on that, you know, blessed path. You continue to grow in wisdom and in, in knowledge and in self-control as the Holy Spirit gained more and more influence on you right through the course of your life. And that, that really is the, the most blessed of lives, isn't it? And you were able to, to marry and you're able to pass down that faith to your own children, right? You, you're able maybe to see your, your grandchildren, you know, coming to the church, coming to confirmation, standing there where you did so many years ago, also giving those promises, also growing in faith. And of course, you, you always know for us within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we always put the emphasis on God 
don't we? It's God who gives this Holy Spirit. It's God who helps us to grow in the virtue of self-control. It's the Lord God who appoints it. It's the Lord God who desires it, who creates it within us. Now, we never want to be caught teaching other people that you know any of it had to do with them, right? Because that would take away from the glory of God, wouldn't it? And so we always want to put the emphasis where it belongs, on you know, God's shoulders. It's God who provides. It's God who gives. It's God who raises us up. It's God who gives that Holy Spirit. It's God who then begins to help us grow in self-control. It's God who restrains us from sin. It's God who gives us our Christian lives. Now you might say to yourself, "Well, well, well, that you know that was was good for me, or it, it was good for you know at least half of my family. It was good for you know three out of four of my kids." Uh, you know what happens when it goes wrong? You know, because we all have faced that as well, haven't we? A, a beloved family member that you know suddenly went off the rails, you know, suddenly fell into sin. What what happened? You would say. Well, what happens is that, that we teach specifically that a person can, in fact, lose the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of denominations, they, they disagree with that. They, they want to struggle against us on that point. You know, we have different opinions, right? But, you know, our teaching has always been that although nothing can snatch you out of God's hand, you can make the decision to jump. And I, I've always kind of appreciated that analogy because you can imagine, you know, here, here, here is God, and you know, he, he's, you know, he's a lot larger than than we are. He's a lot bigger, and you know, here's this little person, you know, standing in God's hand, and God says, you know what, I'm God. Nothing can come along and snatch you out of my hand. You know, I'm I'm so fast. You know, I can protect you, right? I, I can stop other things from, from taking you away. But guess what? Because we have free will, we can make the decision to depart from God. And God is not the kind of fellow that, you know, just kind of ties you up in chains and snatches you away and puts you in the basement of his home and says, you know, you're, you're mine now. And, you know, you don't have any choices left. Too bad. But God, right, the true gentleman will always give us the opportunity to leave if that's our desire. We're not going to be chained there. We're not going to become little robots. On the day of our, you know, a baptism, we, we didn't, you know, get a, a little part of our, our brain, you know, destroyed somehow. But each and every day we do have that ability. 
Now, you know, what, what can take us away from God? You know, making decisions to break his commandments, right? No, the, the Holy Spirit cannot go with us into sinful situations. There's a, a very important reason that the Bible comes and tells us, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen. You see, bad company can come among people. Bad company can, can you know, begin to, to distract you from God's ways, bad company can begin to deceive you, to take you away from God, right? And, you know, I kind of hate to come into the church and, and you know, mention, you know, kind of terrible uh, things, but, you know, trying to find some, some kind of a, an example of that, perhaps, you know, you, you've um, decided to steal some of your neighbor's possessions. And you know that your neighbor is going out of town, right? You know what their vacation plans are, and you resolve in your heart that when, you know, that neighbor is out of town, he has a a pretty nice hunting rifle that you've always liked. And, you know, he's got some some rare coins that he showed you one time when he went over there. And he has, you know, a couple nice things that you began to covet within your heart, right? You're breaking the commandment. You know, thou shalt not covet. And there you are. And, well, there he goes on vacation. And you're standing on your front porch waving, you know, ha, ha, ha. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly where the Holy Spirit departs from a person in that situation. But certainly when you put on your black clothes and you're sneaking over there in the middle of the night with your crowbar to pop his back door open, the Holy Spirit isn't with you anymore. See? The Holy Spirit cannot go into that house with you as you rob your neighbor. He can't be there. He's not going to do it. He's not going to go with you. If you make that decision, right, you're leaving the Holy Spirit outside. Now, some people in their deception, they just kind of think, you know what? I, I can go and I can do this and everything will just be the same. You know? And I can hide it from other people. Nobody will ever know. And I'm sneaky enough. I can get away with it, you know, and it will be fine. But guess what? As soon as the Holy Spirit stayed outside, you were no longer free. But now Satan is able to control you. See? Because there's never a a choice that I can actually be free. Either I'm a child of God or I become a slave of Satan. There's no other option. So I make this decision, right, to act in sin. The Holy Spirit, he can't go into that sin with me. I I think, well, it'll just be fine. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll just be okay. But you're not. See, 
He decided to jump from God's hand. Your neighbor's hunting rifle, you know, it, it was such a, a, a obstacle for you. You had to have it. His coin collection, yet you had to get that. And now you've lost it. You're a slave of the evil one. Is your, your personality going to be different? Yeah. Right? It's going to be different. Are, are things in your life not going to be the same? They're not going to be the same. It, your level of self-control, it's not going to be there like it used to be. You, you used to be able to go out with your, your friends and, and, and have, you know, one or two beers and, and put a limit on that and, and, you know, not get drunk, right? The Bible, of course, says, you know, we're not supposed to get drunk on wine. You had the self-control, you could do that. Now, now you don't. The self-control is gone. Yeah, we're, we're taught, you know, uh, do not commit adultery. And, and now, you know, that individual finds that, you know, they're, they're off with other women. All because they walked into sin. They made the decision to depart from God. It's a terrible state. But I'm not going to leave you there because we also teach within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that you can reacquire the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, what does that take? It takes turning from your sin. Right? It takes falling on your knees before the living God. It means you know, crying out to God and saying, Lord, I, I am a sinner. Lord, I have failed. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your punishment. It means that I come to that place once again where I can say, God is smarter than me. I thought I, I was pretty smart and I could pull one over on my neighbor and I could get his hunting rifle and I could take his coin collection while he was gone and, and he would come back from vacation. He would never know. And I could just kind of go on with my life one day at a time and everything would be fine. And Lord, I finally understand. Right, what I did was wrong. And I've sinned. And I need to come back again. It's really the, the beautiful story of the prodigal son, isn't it? We're told within that story, at one point, the prodigal son came to himself. See? And he looked around at what he was doing and he said, this isn't right and I've gone astray and I need to go home and maybe my dad will let me be a hired worker, right? But he changed inside, didn't he? And he went back home and he begged his father for forgiveness. He was taken in, of course, with open arms, but only because he repented, because he realized the error of his ways, because he wanted to come home again. 
You know, King David, he really went through that same process, didn't he? Right there, he is the king of Israel, the anointed one, the, the holy one of God, the one chosen by God, the one who had great signs accompany him as he rises to power, able to kill a giant with a sling and a stone. And then at the peak of his powers, he falls into adultery. And not only does he commit adultery, but then he decides to try to trick the husband into coming home and, you know, to cover it up. Because if the husband comes home on leave and he goes into his wife, then they can, he can just say, oh, you know, the, the timing was uh, almost there. Right? It was fine. But that man coming home from leave, he says, you know, guess what? None of my friends got to come home on leave and I'm going to stay in a hotel and my wife is going to be at the house and we're not going to get together because if my friends, my companions can't be with their loved ones, I'm not going to be with mine. David never counted on that. He never counted on that kind of a sense of honor. And, and so now his plot didn't work. And so then he says, you know, guess what? He writes a letter to the general. And he says, when you go into combat with Uriah the Hittite along with you, I want you to give a signal to the other guys and, and you all will fall back. And Uriah the Hittite, he can just take it. Right, the army will be surrounding him and he will die. He actually wrote a letter like that to his general. And you know what, at that time in history, the, the general followed David's order. Can you imagine anything worse? Right, David loses his way. He loses his salvation. He cries out in the Psalms, Restore to me, O oh God, the joy of my salvation. He's crying out because he's lost it. He knows he's not saved. He knows he's departed from God. He knows the relationship is broken, but he's crying out. And dear friends, the Lord God took David back, see. And David was able to continue on. He was able to write more beautiful psalms, but his life was always scarred, wasn't it? He experienced great difficulties within his immediate family. He had uh, fighting among his own children had sons that disrespected him because of the things that he had done. He had people within his kingdom rebelling at times because who wants to have this guy who pretended to be God's own man leading them when he's actually an adulterer? He's actually a murderer. Who wants that guy? He struggled. But still, God took him back. 
And dear friends, if you have people in your own family, that is still the hope, isn't it? People who have, have taken drugs, people who have broken their marriages, people that have fallen, went astray, people that stole their neighbor's rifle when he went on vacation. You know, my, my kind of silly example, maybe. God wants everyone to be saved. He desires for everyone to come to the knowledge of him, the scripture says. He wants the loved one you're thinking about right now to come to salvation once again. He wants them to make it home. He wants them to repent to fall on their knees, to cry out and say, Lord, I have sinned. Lord, I want to come home again. Lord, please take me back. And that person, once again, filled with the Holy Spirit, will then begin to develop self-control once more, right? They will begin to grow in God's virtues once again. They will become yet a different person once more because God working through them will create a life worthy of his son. Only. And dear friends, that is the Christian life. That is why you and I are here this evening. For we have experienced it, haven't we? Now, as I said at the beginning, maybe for some of you, 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 you got baptized and you were raised in the church and, and you got confirmed and you were married in the church and you brought your own kids to be baptized and you, you just kind of have that, that beautiful story of God always being with you. And perhaps for, for some others of us here this evening, you know, you, you got baptized and you got confirmed, but then you kind of went astray and you went off to college and you did some things you're kind of embarrassed about, but, you know, you came back again as well. Well, you, you know the difference then, don't you? Because you knew what it was like to be saved when you were in high school and you knew what it was like to be lost when you were in college. You knew what it was to, to be saved again when you got to be 35 or 40. Right? You were able to tell and share that experience. You are able to say, you, you know what? When you lose God, you lose self-control. It's not just that you can kind of get rid of God for a little bit and then come back again, but rather you start to fail in many different areas of your life because you need him. Dear friends, that's why we're together once more, looking toward the Easter season, looking at our Lord and Savior who loved us so very much. He loved so much that he looked into our condition. 
He saw that nobody could make it apart from him. That even though some people could be pretty good and some people could, you know, kind of be examples even in their community, still they weren't perfect. And still in the dark corners of their lives, they hid secrets. And still they needed help as well. And he looked at them and he said, I want you to make it home. And on the other side of the coin, he looked at people who had fallen deeply into sin. He looked at people who were like the two thieves on the cross that are going to be crucified right next to Jesus in the coming day. That one fella hanging on the cross Spikes piercing his hands and his feet. He says the most absurd thing, doesn't he? I deserve what I'm getting. Can you imagine having led a life of of such sin and shame? You're going through one of the most torturous deaths possible, and you say, I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve this. And Jesus looks at that person and says, today you will be with me in paradise. So no matter that you you coveted your neighbor's hunting rifle, You you made plans to sneak over into his house and and take it for yourself. No matter that you're hanging upon a cross saying, I'm getting what I deserve because I am the worst of sinners. Jesus died for you. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your hearts and minds and now and always. Amen.